You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast Network. Let's get fired up. This is Fired Up Pro Wrestling, and I'm your host, Dan Soden. On this show, we take pro wrestling and we break it down into bite-sized pieces. Each episode is looking at being maybe a half hour to 45 minutes long, an hour tops if I get a guest or two in here, and we just break down the week in pro wrestling. I know there's plenty of podcasts out there that break down wrestling, and I'd be a fool to think that you guys aren't already listening to those. I'm just hoping that there's something that I can bring to the table that sets me apart from those guys that brings you back week in and week out. And uh, I hope you guys just enjoy what I have to say. All right. With that being said, let's get into the show itself. Uh, This was a big week for WWE releases, probably the biggest group of names that I've seen in quite some time. Uh, On the announcing side, we saw Tom Phillips let go on Friday. Um, And then this week we saw Braun Strowman, Aleister Black, Buddy Murphy, Lana, Ruby Riot, and Santana Garrett all released. Outside of uh, Santana Garrett, most of these guys were featured on TV often. Uh, Bunny Murphy uh, hasn't been on TV since before WrestleMania when he was part of the Cesaro-Seth Rollins build, but Braun Strowman just main-evented a WrestleMania backlash. Aleister Black came back two weeks ago to feud with Big E. Lana was on Raw. Ruby Riot was on SmackDown. So I'm not sure what's going on. They're calling these budget cuts. Aleister Black actually hopped on Twitch shortly after the announcement of his firing was made. Um, Just kind of going over the last couple months of his career there. Uh, talking about creative, uh, he mentioned dirt sheets, put over Vince McMahon, saying Vince McMahon was a big fan of his, uh, Triple H, Bruce Pritchard, and Paul Heyman always going to bat for him. He said that they often used the word intrigued with him, but couldn't really figure out exactly what to do when it came to his character and his storylines. Everyone else pretty much just sent out their goodbye tweets and called it a day. Uh, On the flip side, AEW actually had a release, um, one of the few. Uh, Awesome Kong seems to no longer be with the company. I believe that her contract just ran out and they did not renew it. Uh, She was acting prior to signing with the company, so I would imagine she continues doing just that. On the flip side of that, AEW did have two new hires. Uh, They announced them both on the pay-per-view. Mark Henry will be a player coach, and Leo Rush debuted during the Casino Battle Royal. Having Mark Henry be a part of your scouting team is is a plus in my eyes. Uh, he's helped discover people like Bianca Belair, Jade Cardell, um, Braun Strowman. He brought Apollo Crews to the WWE. So he has an eye for raw talent and untapped potential. And I think in AEW, especially with things like Dark and all the other shows that they have coming, um, finding guys that aren't already a name is probably going to be a plus for them. Um, you have the Nightmare Factory to kind of help develop those talents, too. So I think all in all, this move was great. Now, when you add Leo Rush to the mix, I think he's a great 
talent. I also feel like AEW has a lot of guys like that already that they're not really doing much with. So I'm curious to see where they place Leo Rush on the card, what he's doing. Um, I just don't want to see him become another face like they have kind of done with Private Party, um, LAX, guys like that have kind of been have kind of been pushed to the background a bit and it's not as beneficial for them to be there uh the roster is kind of already looking a little bloated as is so bringing someone like leo rush into the mix i'm not sure if it's going to be the game changer that they want it to be but i'm looking forward to seeing him compete with a couple of the guys there now when i come back i'll break down dynamite double or nothing and then we'll move into wwe stuff raw smackdown nxt and we are back so friday night dynamite aired um because of the nba playoffs we saw the crowds back uh the show started off with darby allen versus caesar boney um it was a lot of chaotic energy which has uh kind of been the calling card for aew as of late uh, eventually, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky made their way out after the match. All six men then attacked Sting and Darby Allen. Q in Dark Order, who seems to be saving the day for these guys every chance that they get. Uh, the match was fine. It proved that Darby can beat bigger competitors going into Double or Nothing after he lost the title to Miro. This all makes sense to me. Uh, from there, they moved on to the weigh-in between Anthony Agogo and Cody Rhodes. This weigh-in could have been a special on Saturday, um, something treated like how the UFC does it before the fights. Instead, it was a over-the-top long segment where it didn't seem like Big Show even really wanted to be there. Um, Cody does the theatrics like no one else. It's just this isn't hitting. No one has told them this isn't hitting. I think he might need to run another focus group. Um, Anthony Agogo looks like a million bucks, is a million bucks, and should have won the match at Double or Nothing. Spoiler for something that's going to come in about three or five minutes. Uh, from there, we move on. We got Eddie Kingston and John Moxley promos about the Young Bucks. Um, during this whole feud with the Bucks, these two have been brilliant on the microphones. At this point, I'm paying to see these two kick the Young Bucks asses, which is exactly what you want. Unfortunately, I know it's the Young Bucks, so the match is going to go too long. After that, we kind of get the Kenny Omega, Orange Cassidy, Pac um, go-home segment. I was shocked that this wasn't the last segment of the show, but then seeing what the last segment of the show was, I get it. Um, Pac and Orange Cassidy during this whole segment looked like a million bucks. They sold the fact that they could beat Kenny Omega at the pay-per-view, and that's exactly what you want on the go-home show. They didn't look like just two jabronis out there, which is nice. We have the Miro-Martin um, match, which I liked. I thought it displayed enough of um, Martin's speed and athleticism. It displayed enough of Miro's brute strength. Then queuing Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. Uh, this is their second segment of the show. I don't think we needed the first promo if we were getting this one. I prefer the physical altercation between Miro and Archer versus just the promo with Jake. I'm also kind of getting to the point where I don't see what Jake adds to Lance Archer. Archer is someone that can talk. Uh, he doesn't have a problem talking. Jake isn't really adding much to him anymore. I think there might be a different 
wrestler group out there that could use Jake as a talking piece. I also don't think Jake takes away anything from Archer, so for the time being, it's not really hurting him. So we can continue doing it, and I think they will continue doing it, although I'm not sure what Archer's role going forward is going to be within the company. I feel like after Double or Nothing, his whole little Miro feud is over, and both men are going to move on to something different. Um, Mark Sterling and Jade Cardell being a unit together was uh, pretty nice. I do like that they gave her someone that wasn't kind of already a made man, like a Matt Hardy or a Vicky Guerrero. Sterling is good on the mic, so I do like him with Jade, who has sort of struggled a little bit there, but can come into her own eventually and ditch Sterling. So it's a nice storyline down the line. I also noticed that it seems like they're giving Jade a little bit more in-ring time to kind of hone her skills, which is nice. She is talented. I think she's just a little green in some areas, but with each match, you kind of see that go away, which is great. They end the show with the Inner Circles Eric Bischoff party. Um, I don't see the point in this being the closing segment. Why do the Inner Circle care about Dean Malenko outside of Chris Jericho? What has he done for those guys? Why, why are they running to his aid? It just didn't add up to me. Um, I get that it's a family, so they're going to protect who they have to protect, and Jericho is his friend. They established that a couple weeks ago, I believe. But all in all, it just wasn't hitting for me. I think they should have probably ended the segment with the Kenny Omega, Pac, Orange, Cassidy, and Omega segment, but here we are. That leads us into the Double or Nothing pay-per-view itself. As a whole to me, Double or Nothing came off very overbooked, way too long, and bloated in areas it didn't need to be bloated. We had matches that I felt like could have been dealt with on Dynamite. For example, Hangman Page versus Brian Cage screams Dynamite to me. I get you need to put Hangman Page on the pay-per-view because he is your future, but this match just really didn't feel like anything outside of a TV feud. Uh, The match itself was good. It furthered the storyline for Cage leaving Team Taz and also made Adam Page look like a million bucks. I just think for a show that went on as long as it did, this match could have been put on Dynamite and we would have been the better for it. Another match that was a little too bloated for me was the Stadium Stampede match. It came off campy. Once again, it made a mistake that kind of happened last year with the Shade Gasper pool incident. This time, it was Owen Hart's anniversary, and they're grappling down. It's just not a good look to me. Uh, There's a lot of other things in that match that just weren't hitting. Um, They did make Wardlow look like a million bucks, which was nice. I thought the ending kind of fell flat. By that time, I was kind of taken out of the pay-per-view. I'd already invested four hours in it, and you're making me sit through another bloated mess. I don't don't even want to say call it a mess, but it was bloated, and you're making it drag on and on so everybody gets their spots. If this was in a different time of the pay-per-view, I think it would have been a little bit better, but because it was at the end and it was getting close to midnight, I just wasn't as fully invested in it as I should have been. You also had the Young Bucks versus Eddie Kingston for the tag team titles. That match was really good if it was about 10 minutes shorter. They once again bloated the match up with a bunch of moves that didn't need to be done, storytelling that didn't add to the story itself, and it's just in Young Bucks fashion. 
I know a lot of people like to call these guys the greatest tag team currently and ever. It's absurd to me. The greatest tag team actually wrestled the Street Profits on Friday Night SmackDown. But that's for a different conversation. Uh, Outside of that, I think uh, Orange Cassidy, Pac, and Kenny had a great match. Once again, went a little long. Story of the night. Um, The Battle Royal was another match I liked. Um, Jungle Boy and Christian Cage being the last two, I thought was a good move. But bringing in Leo Rush, maybe having Leo and Jungle Boy be the last two in there, kind of build a feud to lead up to Jungle Boy's match against Kenny Omega would be kind of a nice thing. Um, Miro versus Archer was actually my match of the night. I think both men went out there and laid it all on the line. It was the perfect length. They had Jake come in for the perfect amount of shenanigans. And it just was a it was a good match, told its story, and didn't really go too long, which seems to be AEW's moniker. Go as long as possible. And to round out the matches that I actually did like, we had Sheeta versus Britt Baker for the title. Britt Baker finally won the AEW's women title. Uh, it was a great match. I thought it was fantastic. The only issue I had with it, it looked like at some point Britt Baker kind of got knocked silly. I wouldn't mind seeing this match again, hopefully to see both at 100%, but this really was probably the best title match of the night. Now onto the matches that I really just didn't care about. Sting and Darby Allin versus Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. This match felt like it was a match to show the world that Sting can still wrestle. Yeah, for his age, he looked great out there. I don't care. It's 2021. I don't really care about watching Sting wrestle. I do care about watching Ethan Page wrestle. I do care about watching Darby Allen wrestle. I do sort of want to try and care about Scorpio Sky wrestling as much as I can. But Sting, it's just... I get the nostalgia. It's just 2021. And I don't want to see old men in the ring doing what he did i just don't and then we had the most tone deaf match of the night cody rhodes versus anthony agogo anthony agogo 100 should have won this match unless we were getting a cody rhodes heel turn which we did not get instead it was a very campy pro america pro memorial day match that was it missed the mark for me um And I get why people wanted to see it. Um, I get what they were going for, even. That promo a couple weeks ago that Cody Rhodes cut was god-awful. And this just has the stench of that still on it. Down the line, do I think that they could do something better? Yeah. Do I think that they should have turned Cody Rhodes' heel here and kind of given him some of that American I'm better than you vibe? Yeah, I think that would have sold the match even better than his. There's nothing wrong with America's speech that he gave. Um, Hopefully they move forward and kind of leave that behind as just a Memorial Day tribute to his father. I would say as a whole, the pay-per-view was kind of mid. Um, My match of the night, like I said earlier, was Miro versus Lance Archer for the TNT title. Uh, My worst match of the night was Cody Rhodes versus Anthony Ogogo. Um, for the pride of America. Uh, When we come back, I will be talking uh, WWE, SmackDown, Raw, and NXT.
We're back now onto SmackDown, where Roman Reigns opened the show with his cousins, the Usos, in a backstage segment that was chef kiss, as you could hear. Uh, I love everything that Roman Reigns is currently doing since he's come back. Everything has been incredible. I think this is the peak of his career. I also think this is the peak of Jay Uso's career, too. Jimmy just came back, but I'm assuming this is also going to lead to probably a peak in his career as well. As far as outside of the ring, inside of the ring, the Usos have always been top-notch. They are the greatest tag team currently to me, um, rivaled probably by the New Day. Uh, Their match against the Street Profits to open the show was incredible. I also like that Roman later on in the show used Jay um, working the opener instead of main event against him. It was a nice little wrinkle into their storyline. The Street Profits are incredible and will remain to be incredible. Uh, Their mic work is top-notch. Their in-ring work is amazing. Uh, Montez is uh, Montez Ford's little dive over the uh, the top turnbuckle onto Jay was a thing of beauty. Um, I think a nice little wrinkle in the match itself was Jay saving Jimmy. Um, I think that'll come back next week probably uh, to bite him. But it, it, they told a great story. Um, I would love to see them again down the line if the Usos are going to remain together. I'm not really sure where this storyline is going to take those two, but if it keeps them together, I think the Usos versus Street Profits would be a great tag team feud to see on SmackDown. I think both teams have a certain uh, brutality to their athleticism that you don't often see. Um, I think it's kind of polar opposite of what the Young Bucks are. The Young Bucks, you'll get a bunch of flips, a bunch of super kicks, but it doesn't have the same effect that what the Usos and even the Street Profits can bring to those athletic moves. Moving on from the Usos and Roman, we saw uh, Natalia and Tamina take on the Riot Squad. Prior to Ruby Riot getting released, I had actually written down in my notes that the Riot Squad needs to be pushed because uh, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot together look so much more like a team than almost every team in the women's tag team division. Uh, it's still kind of a head scratcher why Ruby Riot got let go, um, but nonetheless, I think those two would have made great champions down the line. Now, outside of Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose, I'm not sure who Tamina and Natty feud with. I also would prefer to not see them as much on my TV, so it's a win-win almost for me. We got Bianca Belair versus Carmella, which I thought was a great TV match. I thought it made Bianca Belair look great. I thought Bailey being on commentary was a amazing her and michael cole's chemistry going back and forth is really good pat mcafee um he's slowly um been building up to me Uh, i do really think that he adds a nice element to the product um but yeah bailey and michael cole were incredible on commentary together going back and forth bailey attacking cole for that slip up at the end was just great um as far as bianca goes she is the future of the women's division I love that Bailey has been kind of helping build her up as a credible force. Once Bianca is done with uh, Bailey, I am curious if they bring Sasha back into the fold. Um, I'm not sure because SmackDown is pretty depleted as far as female wrestlers go right now. Uh, maybe they can bring uh, Io up and have her feud with Bianca. That wouldn't be uh, too bad. Um, but outside of that, I thought Carmella did a great job helping build uh, Bianca up. 
Seth Rogen came out uh, for his birthday promo, kind of trashing Cesaro. I thought it was a great promo. I also want to mention, since I haven't had a podcast to mention this on, Seth uh, Rollins' theme is incredible. The promo here did a great job at continuing the beef that Rollins and Cesaro have. I look forward to what I'm imagining a match at Hell in a Cell. I'm not sure who faces um, Roman at Hell in a Cell, but if they are just going to put him in with this feud like they kind of have been, I'm game for that as well. I don't have many complaints when it comes to SmackDown. To me, it's the far superior show week in and week out. The one thing I am not thrilled about, them continuing the Dominic and Rey Mysterio father-son over-the-top sappiness. I get that they played that up for the pay-per-view, but rehashing it again in the reverse with Dominic kind of going to battle for Ray, it just did nothing for me. I could do without it. I don't think Dominic and Ray Mysterio need to have that sappy aspect to their tag team. I think being the first father-son tag team says a lot about them as is. And I think Dominic Mysterio has kind of come into his own. So we don't need to kind of keep rehashing the same old, same old with them. I think the Dirty Dogs program has kind of served this purpose as well and I think they can move on I know at the end they had the stare down with the Usos and I do look forward to that match next week another match on Smackdown that really just didn't do it for me was the Nakamura Chad Gable match it just felt like pure chaos it reminded me a lot of the Darby Allen match from Dynamite on Friday it's just so much chaos kind of takes away from what is actually going on in the story if they peeled away a little bit of it it would be fine but they had Otis interfere then they had Corbin come in then they had Bugs come in and it just it just became an impact closing segment and it just wasn't something that I personally looked forward to I think Nakamura on his own with Corbin can sell it Bugs playing his instrumental entrance is fine I don't see where that grows, but it's fine for now to kind of get him on TV. I know they wanted to do a little bit of a shakeup. Reintroducing another character in a very similar vein as Elias does nothing for me, but I think he, he himself has enough charisma where he can kind of bounce out of this and into something of his own. Um, overall, I thought the show was great. It was definitely the show of the week for me. Um, and then we come to Raw. Raw has been so bad for so long that even the littlest glimpse of hope kind of makes you go, oh, that was a great Raw. And I felt myself doing that with this Raw. It started off with Ms. TV. And if they're not selling drip sticks at these house shows coming up, they're making a mistake because I want to buy one. The rest of Ms. TV was... A mess, if you ask me. I think Rhea Ripley is in the wrong position. She should be a heel. I think Charlotte kind of needs something to switch up for her. Because what she's got currently going on just isn't doing it anymore for me. And it's not that she's in the picture. It's that she kind of has been the same character for so long without any real changes to it. And I get her being the best kind of is what it is. But I feel as though she's almost kind of gone out of that role of being the best. And now she's just the best on paper because of her accomplishments. Um, Another thing, Nikki Cross being the new age Molly Holly 
is amazing to me. You can continually do that, and it just works. Nikki Cross has this this way about her, to me at least, that is so childish, so innocent, but yet she has a look behind those eyes that sh- tells me she's going to kick your ass. I don't think her being kind of the puppet in these two-minute time challenges is the way to go with her because I think she's a very talented wrestler. Um, but I do think it does sell the point that she is innocent at heart for whatever is coming down the line for her, uh, be it a title match or whatnot. From there, we kind of move into the RK Bro stuff. We had a backstage segment with Damian Priest and Matt Riddle where EC3-looking Randy Orton came into the picture. Priest left. They did a little bit where Riddle kind of locks his mouth and Orton throws away the key. For some reason, and I don't think these guys should work together, RK Bro works too well together. Um, I think their matches with The New Day are going to be really good. I think we see that at Hell in a Cell. Xavier Woods, the last two weeks in the singles matches with Riddle and Orton, has been incredible. I almost want to see an Xavier Woods single run at this point. I'm just not sure where that factors in. Uh, Kofi and Big E have both shown that they can do it. I think Woods could do it on his own as well. I also want to say that the New Day's gear for the last five years at least has been top-notch. Their Power Rangers Ode to the Green and White Ranger was amazing. Um, Also, while we're talking about him, Kofi's match with Drew McIntyre was fantastic. It was probably... The second best match on Raw, Woods and Orton, I think I liked a little bit more. Um, But these guys are putting on the matches of the night every week. And I feel that says a lot about who they are. Uh, Drew McIntyre getting the win and going forward to face Bobby Lashley again. It's kind of stale to me. I wouldn't have mind seeing Kofi do it. But I get that they're kind of going with uh, RK-Bro and Kofi and Woods. So I get that coming down the line and why they're doing it. I just hope that we can see Kofi kind of back in the title picture eventually. Uh, the RK uh, bro is clearly going towards AJ and Amos. And I imagine by SummerSlam, we see those guys take the belts off AJ and Amos. Speaking of AJ and Amos, they had a tag team title match against Elias and Riker. Elias turned on Riker. It kind of was a waste of a tag team title match. It set forward the Riker Elias storyline, where it seems that um, real life kind of kicks in with professional life, and everyone kind of shying away from Riker because of his uh, personal beliefs is now kind of being played on TV a bit. I like it, but I wish that the tag team title match or tag team week had a little bit more meaning behind it. Uh, AJ and almost are an incredible tag team to me as far as a mixed thrown together tag team goes. I think they have a lot of chemistry. I think almost has great comedic timing. Um, I don't think he's ever going to bump in the ring, which is kind of funny to me. Uh, but they do sell the, the monster gimmick well with him. I think something down the line where like, Sam Malcolm Bivens gets in his ear and tells him that he's better than AJ Styles and that he can do more would be kind of an interesting way to like break them up without it being the same song and dance like, oh, you cost me this match. 
and whatnot. Anyway, moving on to another tag team match. We saw Mason T-Bar face the Lucha House Party. Mason T-Bar looked like the prototypes for Ascension now. I, I don't get it. I don't get what they're doing with these guys. Both guys seem entertaining. Both guys seem like they can wrestle. I know I've seen DiJack countless times wrestle in this in this company. So why aren't they giving him the chance to be himself instead of kind of like a weird carbon copy of a tag team that didn't work on the main roster before? Lucha House Party, down the line, I would love for them to get kind of a push towards tag team titles. They put on fun matches, and that's kind of what the tag team division should be about, about having fun. It doesn't have to be the workhorse um, division. It doesn't have to be the real serious division. Guys like Lucha House Party should be getting shots to kind of show what they have and have fun and bring the crowd up. Speaking of bringing the crowd up, let's go to something that kind of brings the crowd down. Do we need to continually have the same Cedric Alexander Shelton Benjamin match with the same finish, the same outline? It's the second week in a row. I don't want to see it again next week. If we do see it again next week, it's going to eventually become we don't want to see these two guys, and these two guys should be wanting to be seen. Cedric Alexander is kind of hitting that peak. I do like the primetime kind of gimmick that they're giving him. Um, and Shelton Benjamin does deserve kind of another run. I did want to see them continue in her business, and it sucks that that ended kind of abruptly. But to see where MVP and Bobby Lashley are now, it works. MVP and Bobby Lashley are on another level above those guys. So I get distancing themselves from them as far as selling Bobby as the actual almighty. I get what the idea was behind the breakup. I still don't technically agree with it. And I would much rather see Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin kind of working in the tag team division under the Hurt Business moniker. But here we are and we work with what we have. Now to end out the Raw show, we have um, Sheamus to talk about his matches with his little gauntlet matches with Ricochet and Humberto kind of led to them getting the wins, which I would imagine is leading them to having a triple threat match at Hell in a Cell for the United States title. I'm on board for that triple threat match. I think Sheamus should still walk away champion, but it kind of gives the shine to Ricochet and Humberto, who have kind of been main of our main event as of late. Um, and then we have the Mansoor, uh, Mustafa Ali kind of backstage segment with the Viking Raiders. I think that was a nice little bit to kind of get Mansoor a little bit more spotlight without actually working a match. Also, we need more Mustafa Ali on Raw. I understand he's been killing it on main event. I have a couple of matches I need to kind of get back and watch, but I would love to see Ali on Raw working on a more regular basis. He's one of the most talented guys on the roster. And speaking of uh, guys on the roster, as WWE likes to dwindle down the roster these days, it seems they continually cut the women's tag team division. And now with Lana out, Naomi is back to the singles division, I would assume. And Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose, who got a pinfall over that tag team, is probably the only contending tag team for Naomi, I mean, uh, Natalia and Tamina's tag team titles. So I imagine at Hell in a Cell, we see that match as well. That's all we have for Raw. Now on to NXT, where we saw the opening bout uh, be a three-way match for the number one contendership for the NXT title. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Johnny Gargano, and Pete Dunne um, started things off. It was a great match. Um, I'm not going to take anything away from it, but the whole time I kind of had that feeling like, 
when is Adam Cole showing up? It's been about two months since Adam Cole was on TV. There were rumors earlier on in the day that Adam Cole was going to show up for TV. And this felt like the moment for him to show up. And he showed up in a big way. I think him taking out all three competitors the way he did and then having the promo battle with Karrion Cross later on in the evening was perfect. I think the uh, match that they set up where Cross, Kyle O'Reilly, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, and Adam Cole for In Your House will be a complete and just complete mayhem. And I'm looking forward to it. I think all competitors outside of Cross can deliver in the ring week in and week out. I think they all have chemistry. Cross is starting to stick out to me. I don't think he has what people thought he had. And I really, really need everyone to take a step back and stop fantasy booking Karrion Cross versus guys like John Cena and Roman Reigns when he can't even go word for word with Adam Cole on a random Wednesday night. I... I the, him going up against Roman Reigns, this current Roman Reigns, would be an absolute bloodbath. And I just don't want to see it. He just stuttered and stammered, and he just seemed lost in the whole thing. And there was a there was even a moment that Regal had this look on his face, like he was watching Adam Cole do a complete workshop on some rookie at the PC. It was just an It was just a bloodbath. Adam Cole looked like a million bucks at the end of it. And I almost hope that they put the title back on him now. Back to the match itself. I thought um, Gargano sold his ass off in this match like he always does. I thought that the bitter end into the DDT counter was amazing. I thought those three guys, Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and Johnny Gargano, really worked their asses off. And it was a great match. I just feel any match in a DQ finish like that can't be like a match of the week. Otherwise, it would have been up there for me. Then had to follow this up with Jake Atlas and LA Knight. I like both guys. I think L.A. Knight has always had a certain charisma about him that can really make him stand out. I think Jake Atlas is great in the ring. I think this whole storyline with Cam and Grimes, L.A. Knight fighting for the love and affection of Ted DiBiase in the year 2021 is incredibly dumb. I don't think anyone cares about the Million Dollar Man anymore. I don't think any of these guys watching NXT really want to see Ted DiBiase continually come out there and just stare at guys working in the ring, but here we are, and clearly in your house, Cameron Grimes versus LA Knight's going to happen, and it seems like it's probably going to happen for the million dollar title, I can see them bringing that back, I could care less, I mean, obviously, Cameron Grimes made a lot of money working the stock market recently, and I get adding that aspect and that layer to his character, I don't get why we need to do this, if we have a Ted DiBiase Segment one week, great. Build up the Cameron Grimes character. But this feels like they're just stretching a dollar, and it just doesn't work for me. Now, also, we have two wins for Jake Atlas against both guys, and he doesn't have a match at In Your House. I don't understand the booking concept behind it unless they're going to put Jake Atlas in there. But giving Jake Atlas the title, the million-dollar title, doesn't seem feasible. Him eating the pin in the match doesn't make sense to me either. Him just being in it seems like an extra body. It just doesn't work for me. I'm not sure what's going on here. It seems like they're going to continue to keep pushing this angle into In Your House. I'm treated to a Carmelo Hayes introduction vignette. Uh, he's going to face Kushida coming up for the NXT Cruiserweight title. They kind of gave him a new name from his indie name. He was kind of one of those indie guys that wasn't talked about too much, but really had a lot of potential. His match with Kushida for the title was a showcase for both men. 
uh, Hayes' intro music was spot on. I know normally they kind of uh, change things, tweak it a little bit. I don't think they need to do anything with his theme. I want it on my Spotify playlist as soon as possible. I thought the match was the match of the night for these guys. Um, as cliche as this may sound, they really left it out there, and I hope to see them kind of do battle again. Uh, Kushida doing these kind of open challenges for the title is kind of a nice treat. Um, I'd like to see him on 205 Live. I don't think since winning the title he's actually appeared on the show, but it would be nice to see him there. I also like the additions to 205 Live from some of those indie guys that they've been bringing on. Uh, Blake Christensen, Burt Stallion, August Gray, those guys have all been welcomed additions to that show. I catch it when I can, and I probably need to start watching it more often. Retreated to the women's tag team match, which did nothing for me. I think The Way are a great team. They have a lot of chemistry. I enjoy the Dexter Loomis storyline with them. I just think having them go up against people that aren't a real team, no one really cares about. Zoe Stark has been doing her thing and kind of building up, but to put her in this and just have them lose kind of does nothing for me. It was a complete throwaway. Um, outside of that, another throwaway for me was Ember Moon's promo. I'm not sure she's the right candidate for the first feud, but I get why they're giving Raquel someone that they can just kind of feed to her to kind of establish her as that dominant force once again. We had several promos and vignettes, Frankie Monette, uh, Mercedes setting up her match with Zia at In Your House. And then we got the main event, which was MSK versus Legado del Fantasma. This was a strong main event. All four guys really left it out there. I thought kind of having... Um, the Grizzly Young Veterans and Tomasa and Thatcher kind of come out, sets up for a four, potential four-way at the In Your House pay-per-view. I think all four tag teams really do have a good uh, connection with each other, so that match would be really good. This match and the promo from MSK really set a tone in my mind that these guys are no longer the rascals from Impact Wrestling. They're kind of a whole new gimmick, a whole new team, and I do like um, where they're going. I just think it's insane that they completely dropped off what made them so popular in the beginning, and now they're still just as popular. Um, Bronson crashing into uh, Escobar at the end there was amazing. It reminded me a bit of the Keith Lee, Adam Cole spot. MSK gets the win here, and rightfully so. Uh, they've been kind of on fire as of late. I think we are going to see that four-way tag team match at In Your House, and I do look forward to it. They did set up a couple more matches for In Your House. Overall, I would say this week in professional wrestling was a good one. Um, unfortunately, we did see some releases. Hopefully, all those that uh, lost their jobs land on their feet. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can follow me at Daniel Soden, and you can follow the Fired Up Network at Fired Up Podcast. I uh, hope to see everyone here next Friday.